Thesis, a podcast where we unlock the thoughts of time. At a mastermind event um, we both that we both attended, you allowed me the opportunity to pitch my podcast to you. And that conversation culminated in your willingness to participate on this show. Mm-hmm. Since that conversation, we traded thoughts and ideas that have set the framework for this conversation. Based upon that conversation, a book was suggested. I formulated some questions around the ideas that you pointed out to me in that book. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, recently, uh, I've seen reports where they are showing and indicating that there is a rise in the completion of suicide in the the African-American community, especially among African-American men. And I'm concerned about that. I am really concerned about that because Here's another example of the brokenness of our community, not just African-American women or just African-American men, but a brokenness within our community. So hopefully through asking some of these questions, we can try to get to at least the first two layers of trying to unwrap this situation. Mm -hmm. Um, Today, I would like to use this platform for you to educate myself and our listeners how we can improve our mental health. The execution of this interview is slightly different because we will use excerpts from the book that you mentioned to me. To our mm-hmm. listeners, this is not a persecution of your mental space. However, it is my hope that the information provided today will be helpful to you or someone you know. In stating this, Dewan, let's dive right into the conversation, please. As I often do on my show, Please provide our listeners with a brief introduction of who you are, your educational background, and what drives your passion for the subjects that we'll be discussing today. Thank you, and thank you for having me here. So for everyone, my name is Dewan Shorts, and I am a licensed clinical social worker. Um, I am also an author, a speaker, I am a yoga therapist, and I am what I've call myself the dope trauma therapist, which means that I do all things trauma related. Um, I have a master's in social work from the University of Pennsylvania and a degree um, in psychology from the University of College Park in Maryland. Um, So that's where I got my bachelor's. And I have been in the mental health space I want to say since I was in undergrad, so what, 2008 up until now, and I've been a owner of my private practice for a little over two and a half, two years, um, and I am based in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, and I primarily see women and youth of color, primarily Black women. Um, I do also support Black men, and we range from um, talking about anxiety, depression, we talk about life transition, relationship issues, and then, of course, 
trauma, right? Like it has to come into the conversation. And we also mix in a lot of the spiritual component around how to heal um, from the standpoint of what it looks like to heal mental health um, for African-Americans specifically. So that is a big element within my practice and my study. Well, thank you so much for that insight into your intellectual landscape. I think oftentimes people have said to me, uh, some of my listeners, man, you have all these degreed people on your show. They have multiple degrees. And I've mentioned to them, well, that's the point of calling it the thesis. It's not the Brandon show, it's the thesis. And I look to have people on my show who um, have an expertise in areas that I cannot speak to. Mm -hmm. Um, These are topics oftentimes that I bring up or have uh, had episodes about in which they're either taboo topics or topics that's not easily discussed in a lot of circles. Um, Previously, I had a conversation about uh, financial spaces and much like the mental space in the Black community, unfortunately, we don't talk enough about the financial space and what wealth building looks like. But I have another chapter coming up about that. But that I want to go into the next question to kind of set the foundation of this conversation. As I mentioned, we use a book to set that foundation, can you please educate our listeners as to what is the name of that book and the author of that book, please? Yes. So the book is called Black Pain. Oh, you guys might not see it. It's called um, Black Pain. It Just Looks Like We're Not Hurting by Terry M. Williams. And this book, I ended up reading this book for one of the courses that I was taking um, as I'm furthering like my trauma study. And the course was called Processing Pain, Facilitating Healing. And when we started talking about the different discussions that we were having around African-Americans and Black men, Black women, our relationships, one of the chapters that stood out to me was called It's a Hard Knock Life. And that chapter was specifically about Black men and how, you know, Black men are operating in the world from a place where there may be untreated depression, but also how depression may look differently for Black men, just given the historical context and the historical lens that has also um, perpetuated the way I'm the way in which Black men um, experience the world. So that was the basis for how we, you know, got into this conversation. And I'm looking forward to the full discussion around this chapter. Also, what I've seen in my clinical practice and, you know, just also feeding off of what you've seen being a Black man and having this conversation. Absolutely. I was telling one of my friends that I was planning on having this conversation today. Mm -hmm. And naturally that turned into a 30-minute rant about some of the things that him and I have both experienced in life. Um, I think oftentimes people see the man that I am now and presume, uh, I I would hope that no one is assuming, but presume that this has been my life, all of my life, Mm -hmm. not understanding that I've had my experience as well, um, trauma, some things that I've had to work through, some things that I had to pray myself through, some things I had to read books and coach myself through. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's something that I've discussed on other chapters. And to my listeners, if you have not heard that chapter, please listen to the chapter that I released with my mother called A Mother's Love. You'll hear about the nucleus of my life. Um, But I want to go to the next question. 
going uh, directly to the book. It says on page 100 of the book that you mentioned, I definitely want to unwrap. And the quote states, and I quote, celebrating mm -hmm. the that pathology, even when it's only a movie or just a song, is cultural suicide, end quote. This was in reference to a song by Jay-Z called Song Cry. Mm -hmm. The text suggested that the use of pain for gain is selfish and destructive. This leads to my first question regarding the text. In the modern day of massive social media, why do you feel that it has become a commonplace for people to use their deep-seated pain to perpetuate their positive or their public image? I mean, when you talk about Black people specifically, right, we create out of our pain. And when you think about you know, if we don't have language to talk about what it is that is happening in our lives, we use whatever our medium is to do the talking for us, right? So I work with a lot of creatives and a lot of creatives, you know, tend to be very expressive people, but sometimes your medium may also become the thing that becomes blocked too. And so if it becomes blocked, then you have no way of expressing yourself. And so when we are thinking about our public image or what we put out to the world, it's us creating out of a space for us to tell a story. And, you know, I think about the cultural context of, you know, um, where we come from and us as a people and how we learn. We learn through storytelling. We learn through um, cadence. We learn through rhythm, right? And so music specifically, you see how how do Black men see themselves in the world? They see themselves through music. They see themselves through lyrics, right? You can paint a picture, which is why so many people love Tupac. They love Biggie. They love Jay-Z and whomever, Kendrick, you know, Kanye, whomever, you can see yourself in the stories that they're painting with their words, imagery, right? And one of the most healing things that actually comes out of therapy or if you're working with a healer that knows how to use imagery is helping people to be able to create new images with their mind's eye and using that visualization practice as a way to heal themselves. But when we're seeing it show up in the you know public sphere, it's people trying to heal themselves through what it is that they're that they're um their median of creativity looks like, right? But sometimes that can also be what hurts them. So it's helping the individual learn how to use the medium in a way that's more healing and therapeutic than it being something that we are, um, what's the word? Uh, like we're using it and we're we're making money off of it, but it's still hurting us, right? Because you think about how we show up with, with music, like if that's still the idea, Right. There's so many music companies who make money off of black artists, but a black artist may have to work, you know, 10 times as hard for them to actually receive some of the income from what it is that they're producing. But a lot of them will say, I'm just excited to be creating something and for people to hear my story. Right. And so at some point we have to then evolve and say, all right, you know, like I, you've heard my story, but here's the evolution of me. You know, and then what does the evolution of me look like? Well, I become a business man. Right. You know, and we kind of move in that direction where it's like I can't keep, you know, having what it is that I'm putting out in the world be so gloom and doom if I'm not there anymore. So there does have to be an evolution, too. Well, it is unfortunate that the thought process of what is music, popular music now, 
is Doom and Gloom and Death. For our listeners, some of our listeners may be familiar with this young man by the name of Jeffrey Williams, or commonly called, or professionally known as Young Thug. Mm-hmm. Young Thug and 28 co-defendants have been caught up in a state RICO case. And a good portion of the evidence being used against this young man is the lyrics of his music. Yep. That's what happened with, um, not Ray Schmurder, the other one. Um, it was another young guy that was a rapper. Um, I can't think of his name, but they used his rap lyrics as part of their defense for his case. And their defense or the prosecution side? Oh, sorry, the prosecution. So this is something that that I want some of our younger listeners to think about. As you're listening to some of this music, there are instances where what they're talking about, the pain that they've experienced or the pain that they put in on people. There's some things that they have mentioned that Mr. Williams had done to inflict pain on people, not realizing that this pain and this truth that he's revealing, which in my opinion, was not a wise thing to do, is now his First Amendment rights of discussing his truth, his Mm -hmm. pain, his experiences is now going to cost him a considerable amount of time of his life. Very unfortunate. And what you do see, what I've seen in that young man is an evolution. I remember when that young man came into the industry, had that song with T.I., and I was like, man, this dude is talented. I don't really know what he's talking about, but he's a talented young man to where he he had uh, transcended into a CEO of a record company. Mm-hmm. And now society is pulling him back. Now society is reminding him of some choices that he made when he was younger. And it's going to cost him some money and it's mm-hmm. going to cost him, unfortunately, some time. But unfortunately, this has become our culture, which leads me to my next question. What do you think about the statement that this thought process is a form of cultural suicide? So this thought process of writing down your pain in music or always showing our stories of pain in movies. What do you think about the the book stating that this is cultural suicide? Hmm. So... Just an aside, the artist that I was talking about is Bobby Schmurda, who also just oh. um, put out a like pen with an article basically saying that rappers need to be mindful of what they use in their lyrics because there was a bill that was just passed um, in New York about using about the limits of rap lyrics being used in court proceedings. So that's just an aside. Um, and so in terms of cultural suicide, So one of the things that comes to mind is there's a part of me that agrees with what the book is talking about in terms of it being cultural suicide, because you, in a lot of ways, one, you're giving someone else the opportunity to capitalize off of your pain, right? Which is kind of how we talked about what we see typically happening with, you know, how people, um, how people utilize things that we as Black people, we create and they take it and they make it their own or they don't give us credit or anything like that, right? Copyright infringement, if you will. And then on the other side, it is, in a lot of ways, it's almost like 
you're painting a picture of your experiences. And because you're painting a picture of your experiences, depending on who's listening to it, they can take that and make that into the experience of a collective. And so you then become part of a collective conversation without even saying that that's where you wanted your story to be put, right? And so I think that as Black people, we can recognize, you know, when there are disparities within our community, whether you live in an affluent place and you go around the corner and maybe there's a block or two that's going through gentrification or that has yet to go through gentrification, right? Like we can understand the trajectory that's about to happen. And then we have outsiders looking in that are consumers of our culture. And in a lot of ways, we also give them the tools to dismantle our house, right? Like there's that that saying where it's like um you get you don't really like you're not supposed to give the person the tools to dismantle the master's house, but we always do. And so in order for us to reclaim a lot of our own culture, it's also for us to have a level of protection over our culture too. You know, and I think with the suicide aspect associated with it, a lot of it is us being being in a space where we don't really like it's almost like we have the ability to tell our stories but we don't own our stories we allow other people to own them i think that's something that mr west and rather mr kanye west has been championing lately is owning your masters buying your your intellectual property back taking a higher level of ownership and what we're putting out into the cultural space. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that this was spearheaded by Mr. West. These right. are things that were talked about by Jay, uh, Sean Carter, commonly known as Jay-Z, talked about by Dane Dash. There was generations before Mr. West that discussed the importance of us being in control of our culture, mm-hmm. especially Damon Dash. He's really, his thing for a long time was culture vultures Mm -hmm. and how we allow the Caucasoid or the people from the Caucasus Mountains or Jewish people, so-called Jewish people, to invest in our talent to our demise in a lot of cases. And then once they use you up, you don't even own your music. Or this is the new thing now that I've been wondering about. And listeners, you can Google this. What is it about all of these artists, Black artists, selling their masters for $100 million? What, why, why is it $100 million every time? So if, it's, if they're willing to pay you $100 million, how much is it really worth? Mm-hmm. Legacy-wise, that's one of the things that was talked about so many times at that mastermind event that we went to. It's legacy, leaving something to your children. But it's bigger than the negativity of our culture. Yep. It's bigger than... When, it's, when I saw cultural suicide, it was jarring to me. Hmm. But I think that was the intended goal. Yeah. It was jarring in the sense of me thinking to myself, what are the different examples in my mind that I would quantify as being cultural suicide? Mm-hmm. Here's one example that I'll go into later. Me personally, my desire is to marry a black woman. It does not make sense to me. Now, my listeners, you can do as for you and your house, you, you do what's best for you 
in your house. Okay? Yes. But we're talking about what Brandon was internalizing when I read cultural suicide. To me, it does not make sense for me to attain success yeah. and, and not see that success with the woman that's culturally the same as me. To me. I would concur. Thank you. I would concur. I would totally concur. Mm-hmm. So that, me saying that publicly, you know, we'll go into that in a little bit as well, but me saying that publicly is one of those cultural suicides that is perplexing to me. To, to our listeners, a previous chapter that I released talked about how we, how the African-American community we are at 1.2 replacement rate. Mm. In order for our culture to press forward into the next millennium, each African-American woman or Black or whatever we're called this week must have two children. Mm. So we have to fix that. But I digress. I'll move on to the next question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as, as I mentioned at the beginning of this interview, There have been reports that African-American men are completing suicide Mm -hmm. at a higher rate. I would presume that in some cases, the decisions are made by those men were made due to emotional trauma. And you talked about trauma briefly at the beginning of our conversation. Mm -hmm. In reference back to the book, on page 101, Mm -hmm. the book stated, one of the hardest things for any of us can ever deal with is emotional trauma, an intense negative experience that can leave you unable to function emotionally in the short run or mess with you in all kinds of ways in the long run. And I quote, based upon your research or case studies, what are some ways that traumatic issues show themselves in African-American men And what are they dealing with on a daily basis that is not commonly being discussed? Right, right. So the first one that comes to mind is what we would call, um, quote unquote, like acting out, right? And so acting out. So if you think about it, women, we show what's happening with us through our emotions, right? So we're angry, we're frustrated, we're annoyed, irrational, all those things. Men, behavioral. Right. So this could be having multiple relationships, but not committing. This could be being in jobs, but not feeling like this is the right job for you. So there's a lot of instability. It could be not having a stable household situation where you're sleeping on people's couches or, you know, you're kind of just floating through, not necessarily sure where you want to be. But you know that where you were isn't working. It could also be, you know, being out in the streets with your friends and not really having direction. Right. It really looks a lot of different ways because for a lot of black men, there are just elements of their lives that they don't talk about. It could be, you know, being in relationship with someone and being an emotional punching bag. It could be being in a relationship with someone and you're doing the emotional punching and or the physical punching, right? So it really depends on the person and what it is that they've experienced. The other thing could be being hyper masculine where it's like yo like I'm the man and all this other stuff but it's like behind closed doors 
you know, you may not really feel that great about yourself. You may not really feel like you're the man that you really want to be. It could also look like in terms of acting out that you're in a constant state of smoking weed, doing pills, drinking alcohol every weekend, you're down in a bottle of Henny or anything like that, right? Instead of drinking this good old water, right? (laughs) It can look a variety of different ways. The other thing then becomes, you know, in terms of emotional emotional, uh, trauma for, for men in particular, a lot of it is questioning your manhood in a lot of ways too. And when I say questioning your manhood, a lot of it comes in the form of how you deal with women. And so hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. So I was having this discussion with one of my mentors the other day and we were talking about, and women, the women are whoever listening, they're going to not like what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it. So the discussion came up and what came out of it was that we as women, especially black women, Technically, we are weak. And the reason we are weak is because our men have been programmed to be weak. And because our men have been programmed to be weak, we've learned to be strong. That is not our nature, like our natural nature to be strong, right? That's why like a lot of articles are like, oh, Black women are letting go of being strong. We weren't meant to be strong in the way that we've had to be in a long time. The issue here is because we have to be strong, we then get with men and they're not strong enough for us. So we keep them in a weak place by not allowing them to show us that they can actually rise to the occasion, right? There are so many times, both from the women I work with and the men that I work with, where I'm like, your partner won't allow you to actually show them what you can do. We as women, we won't even give him a chance to rise. And then when he does do something, it's still not good enough, right? And so we perpetuate a cycle where we're doing to each other what was once done to us, right? Especially if you get into the psychology of how do you keep a person from self-actualizing? You take away opportunities that make them feel like they're successful or that they did something good. All of us deserve to be loved and to be rooted for and to give resources to make us feel like you know, we matter. And in a lot of ways, there's been more emphasis put on Black women, and I get it as a Black woman, but we are not strong if our men are not strong. You know what I mean? And so in a lot of ways, when we're dealing with emotional trauma, especially for Black men, we also, as Black women, we perpetuate a lot of the emotional trauma that Black men have gone through. And a lot of that is, like I said, it's historical because we have the slavery experience in there. We have Jim Crow experience. We have Reconstruction. We have all of that. And then we have present day, you know, situations happening. But at the crux of it all, it's that Black men want to be men. But Black men have not been allowed to be men by society, right? White society, if you will, like let's call it what it is, white patriarchy, because if they're too assertive, then that's a problem. If they are, you know, um, they're they're, uh, academically um, sound and they know what they want, then that's a problem. And then if he's bringing home the bacon and he's cooking it up and he's doing all these things, then there's something wrong with that. It's almost like, He's damned if he do, he's damned if he's not, you know what I mean? And I think we also, as Black women, we have to learn how to forgive Black men. And I will also just say as an aside, um, 
in a session I had with one of my, my women clients a few days ago, I tasked her with this and I tasked your audience with this. What are the negative thoughts that you have about black men, especially ladies? Like, what are your negative thoughts that you have about black men? Because whatever they are, you need to take some time and sit and write them out so that we can start healing those negative thoughts. Because if you don't heal them, you're never going to be in a relationship with a black man that is actually healthy. Because in the back of your mind, you're always still going to be being with him from a place of hurt. And black men, whatever your negative thoughts are about black women you need to sit and write them out too so that we can heal on that side as well because we have to do this together the only way that we get better is if the other side get better so I know that that kind of went above and beyond the question that you were asking but I just want to put it out there like just because black women out here getting healing and we're going to therapy don't mean that we shouldn't be encouraging black men to go to therapy. And if they don't go to therapy, not to shame them for it, but to help them understand the importance of therapy and to assist them with finding a therapist that is going to be in alignment with who they are as a person. Not all therapists that look like me are going to work with a black man the way that I'm going to work with them. So you want to make sure that you're getting somebody that understands, you know what I'm saying? And they can vibe with you in a very different way. And it's going to get with you. And then also be like, listen, I still love you. It's unconditional on this side. It ain't conditional. That's my tidbit. Well, I really thank you for that monologue. Right. And this is the great thing. I'm about sorry. It being, <laughs> I you know, took it up there. There's no reason to apologize. That's the reason why I love to call this show a podcast where we unlock the thoughts of time because this is a time capsule where we're at right now. And it is my hope that in whatever medium is available 20, 30 years from now that people can listen back to this and say, well, that's where they were at. Then, where are we now? And it is my hope that we are so much further than we are today. Mm-hmm. My fraternity brother, big brother, silent drummer, also known as Dr. Martin Luther King. If Dr. Martin Luther King and all those other men and women that participated in civil rights and like I said, men and black women mm-hmm. participated in SNCC and civil rights movements, if they could see where we are now, I would really be concerned to hear what my big brother would say about where we are now. Mm -hmm. Uh, You made so many great points and I definitely want to, I want to build off of that. That means it's got to be a part two. It got to be a part two. That would have to be, definitely, that would have to be another chapter because I do definitely have some other questions. And matter of fact, the, the monologue that you went into leads me into the next question. So building off of what you just stated, Mm-hmm. Once again, that was a great point, and we can definitely unwrap that for another chapter. Mm-hmm. But building off of it, it has been many discussions online as well as offline about the divide in the African-American community romantically. In many cases, people on both sides will attribute the blame and the issues to the now deceased Mr. Kevin Samuels for criticizing or popularizing the divide. I want to spin this conversation in direction of how we can progressively move forward mm-hmm. as a community. There has been enough cultural betrayal to go around. And as I mentioned earlier about me and my house, I want to say publicly, 
on behalf of the majority of African-American men who date, love, and marry African-American women. Mm-hmm. We love you and we need you. Well, I'm going to receive that on the behalf of all Black women. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we received that. We need to hear that, too. Okay, so to our listeners, both our women listeners yes. and men listeners, let's come to the table and have a real conversation about how do we progressively move forward. Because this separative agenda put in place by Caucasians and feminism has destroyed us. Mm-hmm. in a lot of cases not completely destroyed us but has destroyed us in a lot of cases what suggestions would you make to repair our cultural emotional brokenness and then the second part to that question would be how can we progressively move forward okay so I'm going to give you guys another book recommendation so this is on my list of books that I am reading right now so this one is called what mama couldn't tell us about love Healing the Emotional Legacy of Racism by Celebrating Our Light. So, and this is by Brenda Lane Richardson and Dr. Brenda Wade. The reason that I am recommending this book is because these are two sisters who create like this provocative conversation around what lessons about love and intimacy were passed down from your foremothers to you. By exploring the emotional legacy shared by all African-American women whose ancestors were enslaved, the authors examine the impact of this history on romantic relationships between today's Black women and men and reveal how the power of inherited beliefs can both heal and strengthen these relationships, right? So I love this book because it also offers tips around emotional freedom in the relationship for Black men and Black women. And it, offer, and it also offers spiritual wisdom from well-known African-Americans and ways of enhancing and coping the strengths of your um, forebears harness to help them survive and thrive and the certainty that emotional emancipation is your birthright, right? So I love this book because it is something that I think we as both men and women can benefit from reading um, because a lot of what happened in slavery also, you know, significantly impacted how black men saw their women and how black women saw their man and then how they saw the children. Right. So there is a lot that comes up in that conversation. The other thing that I would definitely So that was the first part. The other thing that would definitely come into play is communication style, right? So what we are also seeing is that we we talk very differently to each other, right? Like people don't talk to understand, they talk to be heard. And so you hear people talking about, oh, my love language is this. And, you know, my my personality is, you know, INFT or whatever, right? Like all these different ways of which to describe who they are. But none of that actually goes hand in hand with, like, if you don't use that, plus your historical context and your lived experiences, if you don't bring them all into play, it doesn't matter, you know, whether or not your love language is words of affirmation or physical touch, you know what I mean? Because here's the thing, and this is what I tell my clients all the time, words of affirmation or your love languages, the ones that you rank highest on are the ones that you are used to either giving and or receiving, 
The ones where you rank the lowest is the ones that you actually need to practice doing. Because nine times out of 10, if you know anything about how people need to be taken care of is that you get all five love languages. And for a lot of us, we have what is called undeveloped parts. And so the undeveloped parts, right? Like this is something that comes up in therapy. If you have a undeveloped part, which most of us do, that part doesn't become developed until you go through experiences or you're in therapy or you're working with a coach or whomever, where that part can be developed for you to be able to self-actualize and utilize those skills in that way. The other thing for us to understand is that you can do a lot of healing work alone, right? Most people are like, I'm working on myself. It's a me season. I get that. It's great, right? Like there are, everybody kind of goes through a season where you go through isolation. You go through a little, you know, you're off to your side and you're figuring it out. But the best way to see whether or not you've actually learned the lessons that you need to learn is through relationship with other people. And for many of us, we're so quick to want to be in relationship with someone as a companion that we have not really understood what a relationship actually is. For many people, we've made idols out of relationship versus wanting to actually understand and get to know someone. So if we're healing in this relationship between Black men and Black women, one, it's a woman and a man individually need to make sure that they have a decent relationship with themselves. Because if my relationship with myself is not to a healthy standard, right? And that healthy standard can look different for different people, then I'm going to be searching for someone to fill my void, right? And if I have voids within me and this person is now, I'm saying that they need to you know, fulfill all of these things within me, I'm creating situations for that person to fail, whether it's male or it's female. And it happens all of the time. I tell my like my women clients, I'm like, listen, you're in a relationship with this person, but did you communicate effectively? Did you say exactly what you're telling me? Well, no, I said this, I said, but if you're talking to a man, you need to make it very clear. Like, He's not going to beat around the bush like how we do, because you could talk to me and I get exactly what you're saying, but make it clear, make it plain. And if you can't do that, then it makes it hard for someone to actually know what it is that you're desiring. The other thing in this grand scheme of this conversation is people have to rework expectations and actually make them boundaries, right? We want boundaries over expectations. Expectations is what you get your feelings hurt because you're expecting something that you didn't tell someone, right? You didn't communicate it, but you're expecting for someone to be X, Y, and Z. That's not fair. That is not fair. That is not fair. You are setting people up for failure. And so when we're thinking about how to engage with the opposite sex or same sex for that matter, depending on like your sexual, you know, orientation and preferences, it's really you understanding like you have to communicate. And if you don't know how to communicate, then when you're with someone, you need to be honest and say, listen, there are some things about me that I am working on trying to, you know, um, communicate about myself and what I need. And so I'm also recognizing that the things that I need, you can't give them to me. I have to give them to myself.
And if I give them to myself, that makes me a better partner for you. So many of us are looking for the other person to make them a better person. That's not how that works. You become a better person because you're desiring to show up for yourself. And as a result, you attract someone who is in alignment with you. You know what I mean? And then we do the work of we're still healing. When two people come together, you are still healing because for a lot of us, you're healing the relationships that happen with your parents by you and this person being together. You're healing relationships that are you're seeing around you. You may be the only people that actually are in a relationship in your friendship group, right? So it's like there's a lot of pressure. And so if you're not communicating, you're not allowing the two of you to make this relationship yours, right? Like there's this thing that I always say, let God write your love story. Stop being out here trying to figure out what your love story is going to look like with Hollywood and Disney and everybody else, because that's not, that's not reality. Reality looks like this, and that's based on whatever you and the person that you're with decide for it to look like. So that's my two cents. That actually felt like 15 cents, but I still... I still received it. To our listeners, what I really wanted you to, to gather beyond and not to take anything away from what you said, Dewan, mm-hmm. is how I had the ability to listen to what she was saying and not make it a debate. Yep. Oftentimes, we get into these intellectual battles about emotion. Mm-hmm. We have to stop doing that. And culturally, we have to stop doing that to each other. And, 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 and speaking of that, mm-hmm. I care about our culture first. So when I'm really saying that, I'm really talking about our culture. Mm-hmm. Because it's all these other things for other people. Caucasians got their stuff. Asians got their stuff. Hispanics got their stuff. But when it comes to us and when people look at us, We seem so problematic and argumentative amongst ourselves that they just cast us off. So I'm glad that you gave me that 15 cents of knowledge, not only for me, but for our listeners. I am sure that we can discuss these topics for hours. As we come to a close, I would like to leave our listeners with resources. Can you please provide? Now, I do want to give you a heads up that it's a multiple part question, right? So um, for our listeners, if you have a pen and piece of paper and you are intrigued by these resources, please take an opportunity, put your your phone on pause, your, your, your computer on pause and grab a pen and piece of paper for these resources. Can you please provide your contact information in case a listener is seeking a counselor, phone numbers people can call in case of mental emergency, and what are some potential cost saving options for people seeking help? Okay, so I'll kind of start with what you ended with and kind of work my way back. So the first thing, um, specifically because we are referencing um, Black men, so there is a website called therapyforblackmen.org, um, and that website and that company has also um, tasked themselves with being able to offer uh, therapeutic sessions for Black men. So that's a really big um accomplishment because you see more of those types of services for Black women. Um, So it's called Therapy for Black Men. And then in terms of low-cost options, um, 
some of the other ones that I would suggest is Open Path Collective. Um, and so that one has a lot of opportunities for individuals to seek therapeutic services for about $30 to $75, depending on what the clinician is able to offer. You may or may not find a plethora of Black clinicians listed on that website if you are looking for a Black clinician, but there are some that are actually on there. Another cost-saving option would really be to look at the back of your um, insurance card, see who's in-network, and figure out whether or not you want to go with someone that's in network. Um, a lot of therapists are actually out of network providers, meaning that they're on the other end in terms of therapy where they don't uh, accept any insurance. So you just want to be mindful of, you know, what works for you based on your current financial situation. And if you don't know, but you're kind of like curious as to what's out there and the range in which therapists do charge, you can always go on Psychology Today. Um, that seems to also have a plethora of listings of Black male therapists specifically um, listed there versus any other like directory for uh, clinicians. In terms of individuals wanting to uh, connect with me, so if you are an individual and you're based in New Jersey or Pennsylvania, I would be able to service you possibly as a clinician, um, as your actual therapist. And so if you're looking to connect with me, you can go to my website, Dahlia, D-A-H-L-I-A, Rose, R-O-S-E, wellness. So DahliaRoseWellness.com, um, all one word. And you could essentially go there and connect with me, um, whether it's to get on a call, it's to just consume some of the information, just really depending on like what it is that you need at this point in time. So in terms of just numbers that people can call, one, um, so a few different things. There's a few different numbers and a few different numbers that have shifted and changed over time. So what we are seeing is that there's a lot of short form uh, numbers. So I think the biggest thing for individuals to be aware of is a site called NAMI. Um, I can't tell you exactly what the <laughs> acronym is on the top of my head, but it's N-A-M-I. And if you go there to do some searching, you will definitely find numbers that are actually applicable for your location. The reality is if you are having a mental health um, issue or crisis at that moment in time, it is very different state to state how each state actually deals with the mental health crises in that moment, right? Um, what we also find is that a lot of individuals will start looking for a clinician in the wee hours of the morning, so like between 2 and 4 a.m., um, versus they're calling a hotline. So I think it just really has a lot to do with where people are comfortable trying to get support. And if you call a hotline, you know, you can get support, but then you're going to be funneled into something that's more local for yourself. So I would definitely suggest a lot of people to get clarity about just what are the mental health offerings in their community, um, because the larger numbers you know, they're national and then they funnel you back into your home space versus you just being aware of what's available to you. Well, thank you so much for that wealth of information. And it is my hope that for our listeners, especially our African-American male listeners, if you know someone that needs some assistance, please feel free to give them the resources. Um, beyond that, I, one of the things that you mentioned that I think is very important and is it's not in place in a lot of cases. Now, I can't speak for every state, every city, 
in a lot of cases, African-American men are looking for another African-American man to speak to about the things that they're going through. And unfortunately, in a lot of cases, um, that's, that source is not always available. Mm-hmm. But what I would recommend, and, and I'm not a therapist, but what I would recommend to our listeners, or if you know someone that you know is in need of help, please do not allow what sex of the therapist or the person that can help you be a hindrance for you getting the help. Please don't allow that to be a hindrance. But in closing, as I always do on my show, I ask my guests, if you could provide a thesis statement for this conversation, what would that thesis statement be? Mm. I think my thesis statement at this time would be for Black men, for Black men in this day and age to become more curious about who they are at their core. And as they are becoming more curious about who they are at their core, to allow that level of exploration to almost like infuse and shift the way in which that they are currently navigating the world. And I would also say for those that love Black men to be open to the exploration that he is on and learn how to navigate that exploration with him. Um, Because one of the things that, you know, we see about Black men is that they're probably one of the most loneliest groups. Not saying Black women aren't lonely, but they're probably one of the most loneliest groups um, when we're looking at population. And a lot of that just has to do with the way in which that they have been, you know, like almost othered and then there's an inner othering that happens as well. So I think a lot of Black men might be very lonely and just don't know the words to actually say I'm lonely or to even say, you know, there's people around me, but I still don't feel like they see me. Wow. So I don't want to add too much to what you (laughs) stated, but I will say this. There's been moments that I've sat in my home and have felt like, I don't have anyone to turn to. Felt lonely, as you've mentioned. Like, man, who can I discuss this with? Even if I go to one of my friends or whoever, will they understand? And sometimes in that loneliness, using that word, as you mentioned, um, you end up burying your head even more Mm -hmm. into whatever the problem may be. Um, I really want to thank you for your expertise, your input, your knowledge, providing the resources, because in a lot of cases, people do not know the resources. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is the reason why they kind of go around in circles, so to speak. So I really appreciate your time. To our listeners, as I always say, you could be doing anything with your time right now. But you're choosing to spend that time with me and Dewan. It is my hope that some information that was dispelled or put out in this particular chapter is either useful to you or useful to someone else. To my new and returning listeners, I would like to thank you for your time. Welcome to The Thesis, a podcast where we unlock the thoughts of time. Be encouraged. Is the text coming to my face? We pray, oh my Lord. Mm-hmm. 